Thanks, Vincent. Um, we are in a series called Deeper and Wider, and, and today we are looking at God's undeniable power to transform lives. Um, if this is your first time with us, so really uh, grateful to have you here and that you're just giving me your attention for the next 20 minutes or so. Um, this is one of the most well-known encounters I think anyone has ever had with God that we're looking at today. It's the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Um, I think it's so well known that often someone, if they're a Christian or not a Christian, if they are, had a life-changing or a drastic event, they will reach for this expression. They will say something along the lines of, did you have a Damascus Road experience? They might really not know much about the significance of that event, where that event is even situated, that it even comes from the Bible, but it's almost used as shorthand for an otherwise unexplainable change of mind, an unexplainable change of perspective. This story, as I said, I think it's one of the clearest examples of God's power to change people's lives. And I think we need it today more than ever, actually. And just to be honest, I think I'm a pretty optimistic person. Some of you know me well. You can agree or disagree with that. But on the whole, you know, I have my moments. But I like to think I'm pretty glass half full. Um, but to be honest, recently I have found lots of moments where I found myself lacking hope for certain situations. Um, I've got mates, long-term friends who I've prayed for for a really long time and are just nowhere with God, you know, and that just feels painful and I know God's promises on that and it's difficult. I also, you turn on the news right now and there are situations around the world just feel incredibly complicated, situations that don't seem to have any real easy answers unless God is able to do something miraculous and change people's hearts. I struggle to see a way forward. And what I've noticed is when you just spend any time thinking about that, it's almost like a tendency to start thinking things are just the way they are. That is just the way it is. Things will never change. This or that will never happen. And these situations and the people that we're thinking about, I don't know, maybe for you, you've like, if you're honest, you wouldn't say it out loud, but you've kind of stopped praying for certain things, certain things you've prayed for for a while, and almost it's like you wouldn't admit it, but there are certain things you're just like, yeah, I'm just not sure I've got hope for that anymore. That situation just feels too far from God. Like, would he actually be able to make a difference in that area? I don't know, maybe for you, you've got a friend who's trapped in a cycle of drug addiction and it just feels too big, too difficult. Maybe there's a child who's turned their back on God and you're like, the way things are going right now, I just don't see any possibility for change. Maybe it's a colleague who's just incredibly hostile to God and you've been reaching out to him for a really long time. Or maybe you're here today, you're not a Christian. And you're almost wondering if this God is all that they've just been singing about. Could he possibly be big enough, be powerful enough, be merciful enough to work in your life to make the difference you need? So I guess however you're feeling today and whatever circumstances are in front of you, I just wanted to say the scriptures that we are about to look at is like God standing on a rooftop, shouting to each and every one of us, no situation is too difficult for me. No person is out of reach of my grace. If you were a Christian living in the first century, the person we're looking at today would be the last person 
you would have expected God to be able to use. He would have been the no-hoper, like the hardest case. And yet, as we're going to come to see in a moment, God takes the greatest enemy of the church and he makes him the greatest blessing to the church. He takes somebody who was who Luke describes as wreaking havoc on the church and he turns him into a shepherd who cares for his sheep. It's an incredible story and we're going to dive into it. Let me pray for us. Father God, I pre- please, Lord, to speak now. Lord, I ask that you would uh, remind us of your power and your goodness, your desire to turn lives and hearts back to you. And I pray that the, in the story we see today, we would be reminded that this isn't just history, but Lord, you are in the business of changing lives today. Lord, I pray you would build our faith in your name. Amen. We're going to pick up this story in Acts 9, um, and it's going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles uh, with you. It says this, meanwhile, sorry, this is Acts 9 verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So introduced here to Saul, and he's later referred to as Paul. So if in my, my message I talk about Saul, Paul, don't get confused. It, it is a bit confusing because the Bible talks about him in two different ways, but we're talking about the same person. And immediately you can see here that he is not somebody that you would ever want to mess with. He's got murder on his mind. And this isn't hyperbole. And I know that in some of your households, you might hear a child scream, I'm going to kill you. you know, and in that moment, you don't grab for the phone 999. You just know someone's got a bit overexcited. We just need to go and calm things down. This is not the same situation. This is not the same thing we've saw. We've already seen these aren't just threats he's making. It's not just an expression that he was breathing out murderous threats, but he would never do it. He has. He has done this. In, in Acts 8, just the chapter before, he presided over the killing of the apostle Stephen. He looked after the garments of the men who stoned him, and he stood and watched, and it said that he approved of his killing. And then he turns his eyes to his next target. So Acts chapter two, uh, chapter 8, verse 2 says this, Godly men buried Stephen and mourned for him deeply. But Saul, he began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is a dangerous guy. He was terrorizing the church. But in his mind, oddly, and in a really twisted way, he was actually serving God. That's what he thought. He thought he was getting rid of a new dangerous teaching which was corrupting the pure Jewish faith. He was a Pharisee. He was super well-versed in the Old Testament scriptures. He would have known the law inside out, but it hadn't changed his heart, and he didn't know God. We're about to see all that is about to change. Verse 3, why don't you read along with me? says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a flash of light, sorry, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. 
The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sounds, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. God got his attention. This is a dramatic scene. Like a flashes of light, an audible voice, a vision of Jesus. Saul's whole world in the, this moment has just been like turned upside down. It's a paradigm change. As I said before, in his own twisted way, he was serving God. But now he has realized he was actually hurting God. And I use that word hurting on purpose because he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You know, in this very moment, the person he thought was a fraud, the most dangerous person, the person who was a liar and is trying to get everybody to follow this new wave of teaching, trying to follow and lead people away from God. He's just realized, no, you actually are God. You are the Messiah as he sees him in this vision. And not only that, he identifies so closely with the church that he says to persecute him, to persecute or to harm the church, sorry, is actually to persecute and to harm him. Jesus wasn't there in body, but the church are here in body. The church were there in body. What happens next? Well, the vision was bright. It caused some temporary blindness, we're told. And then he just goes on into the city. He continues his journey. He continues to go where he's going, but no longer is it murderous threats, but it's big, big questions he's got in his mind. This guy who was reputation goes before him. Dangerous person is now humbled, utterly humbled, hand out, can't see anything. You can imagine him like pouring around as he goes, being led by the hand vulnerably, like an invalid, onto where he needs to go next. No longer is he the scary guy, but he's been humbled. Questions in his heart, like, will I ever see again? What does this mean for my life, my future? I've offended God. I've sanctioned the killing of his people. Like, what's going to happen to me now? His mind must be in overdrive. But next, there's a little bit of a, a switch. And this is, I think, where the story may get a little bit more unfamiliar to you. If I said it's a familiar story to begin with, because we're now going to look at Ananias. This is the second person in the story. And Ananias is like the unsung hero of the moment. He plays a bit of a background role, but his work in Paul's life is incredibly important. Let's read together. Verse 10. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him and restore his sight. So you get introduced to this guy, Ananias, and he has his own vision. Okay? This, isn't like, this doesn't happen loads in the New Testament, so this is, this is pretty unique. He gets his own vision. And this is actually the first and the last time we ever hear of Ananias. He's never mentioned again after this. He's a Jewish convert to Christianity, and this is his big, big moment. And it gets a little bit confusing here because, so just stick with me, but you've got God speaking to Ananias in a vision, saying Saul's had a vision of you coming to see him, placing hands on him and praying for him. So it's a vision of a vision. 
To which Ananias responds, sorry, what? Like, he's not really interested. He's like, you want me to go and see who? Like, that is crazy. Like, you've got the wrong Ananias. It's actually the Ananias who lives two blocks down. You know, that, that, that's, that's not me. I'm, 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 not, I'm not doing that. He's like, this isn't happening. Verse 13, let's have a read. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And you want me to go and see him out of the blue. Hi, Saul. I've heard you've been looking to arrest people like me. I'm going to make your job real easy. I've come to you. Okay? He doesn't like it, and I don't blame him. I don't think you would like it. I don't think I like it. If this was a vision in an eight ball, you'd be shaking that thing for another, you know, it would say, outcome does not look good. And you'd be like, I want another vision. Um, eight ball, the black thing you shake. Yeah, good. Just checking that wasn't, it's got a few blank looks there. Verse 15, but the Lord said, Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. So with fear and trepidation, in obedience to God, Ananias goes. Verse 17, then Ananias went to the house as he entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. And he could see again. He got up and was baptized. What a story. Saul's life was utterly transformed by God. And there's so much you could draw out and say about it. But I just want to make just two points. And the first is this, that the gospel is greater than our sin. The gospel is greater than our sin. And secondly, we're going to come on to see that the gospel will always lead us out of our comfort zone. You know, I shared this story once. I used to work in high schools in Leeds with teenagers, uh, which is always a dangerous thing to do. But uh, I would do regular RE lessons and assemblies and different things like that, mentoring. And uh, one of the lessons, I was doing an RE lesson, and I shared this story. Um, and the response of these uh, teenagers completely took me off guard. You see, I thought this story was incredible, like undeniably good news. Like what we're seeing here is we're seeing the power of God to change somebody's life, to completely transform it, to turn it around. And as I shared it with them, the response I got back was, that's too easy. That's too easy. They were left with a sense that Saul, who'd done all this stuff, wreaked havoc in the church, put men and women in prison, presided over someone's killing, that is just too easy. Almost like he was let off the hook. And you know what? To some degree, I understand where they were coming from. Um, and I guess I wonder if that's some of what you've felt before. You know, how can this guy have gone from doing all of that to suddenly switching teams in a moment and all is forgiven? Where is the justice, they said. Where's the justice? Maybe you feel like that today. Maybe uh, as you see this, you think, man, it just looks like things are being swept under the carpet almost like they're pretending that things haven't happened. Maybe for you that is a barrier as you even look in on the Christian faith. Maybe hard things have happened in your life. And as you just think about that, if you consider what's been done to you 
maybe there's you've been taken advantage of before. Maybe you've very seriously been abused. And you're thinking, I need a God who doesn't overlook those things. I actually need a God who can deal with those things. If that is your question, if you resonate with some of the response of the class that, uh, that I shared with you, I just think you need to know Christian forgiveness doesn't overlook justice. Although it is available to all, although it can be received in a moment, it isn't cheap and it doesn't overlook pain. The pain we've caused others and the pain that we've experienced ourselves matter greatly to God. Christian forgiveness doesn't say that abuse and that sin doesn't matter. It doesn't say it doesn't hurt. It doesn't say that it isn't wrong. Christian forgiveness is to say it does hurt, it really did matter, and it really is and was wrong. So wrong that to forgive it would require something huge, actually. To, to forgive it would require the death of Jesus Christ in history. In another verse in the New Testament, the Apostle Peter writes this. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You know, that suffering that happens at the cross where God becomes a man, where he takes the punishment that humanity deserved and it is placed on him. He doesn't leave humanity in its mess, but instead he takes our place. And it's at the cross where Jesus deals with all of Saul's sin that enables him to have this massive transformation. It's at the cross where he deals with our sin that enables us to be here today, to have this relationship, to sing what we're singing, to have the life with God that we have. And it's at the cross where he's willing, if you're a visitor here today, to take on all the things that you have done, the pain you've experienced and the pain that you've caused others. You see, you need to know that they're not swept under the carpet, but it's at the cross when they're swept full force onto Jesus, and he pays with his very life. The forgiveness we receive isn't cheap to God. It costs him the death of his son. And it isn't accessed cheaply by Christians. It actually requires repentance, which isn't just a, a small sorry and a moving on. It is a totally radically reorientating of your life. It's an owning up to the mess, to looking at it for exactly what it is, to feeling it, and then saying, I trust that, Jesus, you are taking this from me. It's not cheap but it does have the power to completely and utterly, radically change your life. In many ways, you know, Saul's conversion is pretty unique. Like, I'd be lying if I said I thought it wasn't. You know, he, he clearly had some unique calling in the early church to see it established. But at the same time, there are many elements to Saul's conversion which I think are universal for all of us. If you don't yet know Jesus, if you haven't yet experienced his love and forgiveness, Jesus is longing to meet with you. It might look a bit different to how he met with Saul, but he's longing to meet with you. He's longing to show you his love and call you into his purposes, just like he did with Paul. So what about the rest of us? What's this story say to us? Well, I think there's a provocative example in Ananias' obedience, and that's just where I want to finish in, uh, our time together. The gospel will always lead you out of your comfort zone. 
as I said earlier, we don't know much about him, Ananias. You know, he kind of turns up on the scene. He plays his role. You know, we go on to see hear so much about Paul. He writes many books in the New Testament, but Ananias seems to go quiet. Yet he listened to the voice of Jesus. He obeyed God even when what was being asked on the face of it was actually really scary, really dangerous. And he went where God sent him. He did what God told him. And he did it all with love, grace, and wisdom. What I love about Ananias is that at the time, he had no real idea about what would come from his prayer. He didn't really know what was going to happen. Just how influential Paul was going to go on to be in seeing the building of the church, the spreading of Christianity across the known world. But he vulnerably, yet obediently, took a risk. He showed mercy to a scary guy who God went on to use really, really powerfully. I think think it's a great example to all of us about small acts of obedience and just the power that they can have. You know, it's not flashy. Most people, you you tell this story, most people barely remember who he is in the story. You know, it, it certainly isn't big and impressive, but it's really, really important. I think in wider culture and even in the church, there can be a tendency to fall into the trap of celebrating the really big stories, the flashy stuff, the stuff that look, really looks impressive, the big gifts, the Paul-like experiences and contributions. But you don't get the confidence, the confident, persuasive preaching of Paul without the faithful, quiet obedience of Ananias. Like their stories are intrinsically tied together. So I guess as we close our time, I just want to ask you, where might God be asking you to serve him behind the scenes? to become a part of someone's story, maybe sharing Jesus with someone, just one-to-one, or even just faithfully going out your way to pray for someone. Just like Ananias, you may never know where that prayer will take someone, like the difference it could really make to their life. Let me pray. Do you want to stand with me? Just as we finish, Lord, I, I want to pray for everyone in this room who knows that they're far from you, who knows that they don't yet know your love and your grace, who know that they need an encounter with you today. And I want to pray that just as you stop Paul in his tracks, Lord, just as you arrested his attention, Lord, I pray you would get our attention today. Lord, that you'd be doing for him, doing for us what you did for him. Lord, that you would remind us of our need for your forgiveness and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you're still in the business of turning lives around. And for all of us here who just need to know the powerful, quiet example of Ananias, Ananias' small yes to you. Lord, I pray we would receive that challenge. I pray it would provoke us, that it would help us step out with humility and with love. Help us listen to your voice. Give us the courage we need to be obedient, even as we play our role, no matter how big or small. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's worship.